Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. Got to get this Celtics thing out of the way. There we go. There we go. This is a Patriots show. Yes, not- we do indeed need to get the Celtics out of the way. Yeah. Maybe we do. Uh, oh, we got Mike in the right spot here. Um, maybe we do a Boston Sports Minute today. It's been a minute, yeah. and I think we might yeah. be due for one. We we are due for one. We're going to do that at the end of the show. I, I, you I hear me, really by the way? I'm kind of using the, the alternate setup today. Yeah, we, we can hear you fine. I can hear you fine. Maybe in the chat they can let us know if they can't. But uh, we're gonna we'll do the Boston Sports Minute. I know Celtics Twitter got all mad at me last night for my tweets. I I egged it on a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. I poked the bear. Uh, but we'll get to the, some other Boston sports takes here at the end of the hour. But Patriots is a Patriots show. Patriots beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth. With you guys, as always, here on this Friday afternoon. And I think there's some business still to handle here in Week 18 for the Patriots at the Miami Dolphins on Sunday going down to South Beach. We are going to talk later in the show, playoff matchups, different permutations, who we would like the Patriots to face and who we would like to avoid on Wild Card Weekend. But I want to start with the Dolphins because, first and foremost, I wanted to break out this quote that Bill Belichick had the other day. He was asked about how he was going to approach the last game of the season. Alex, we saw in Cincinnati, they're resting everybody, right? They, they've shut Joe Burrow down. Uh, they're they basically treating this as a bye week. But I thought this quote from Belichick um, was really put the you know spot on it and something that we've talked about and have felt as well with this team. I'll just read you half of it here. Uh, Belichick said, try to just stay on track with what we've been doing in terms of the approach this week. I think we we had good weeks of preparation, practice, energy into the game, mindset. However that all comes together, we've been bet, a lot better than when we haven't. We're going to try to build that consistency. This feels like a team that's still trying to be consistent in the whole work week, not just on Sundays, but how they approach games, how they work during the week, how they practice, how they prepare, and then how they play in the game. And my read on that quote was that Bill Belichick feels, and I think we feel the same way, Alex, if the Patriots let the foot off the gas in week 18 and they allow some of those bad habits to creep back in to some of the things that they did during the two and four start or the two game losing streak, it will be a very, very quick postseason for the New England Patriots. And this week is as much about keeping the positive momentum and doing the right things not only on Sunday, but also Wednesday through Friday so that they can carry that over into next week. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, we always talk about how this team and Bill Belichick, they want to play their best football in December. They lose this game. They're one and three in December, one and three since the bye. They're kind of limping into the playoffs with their lone win being against the worst team in the league. That's just not a spot you want to be in. It doesn't mean they can't win, right? Every week is its own week, but I've, as I've said, I'm a firm believer in momentum. I really am. And I think that there's some people in that building that believe in momentum as well. So we talked about last game as a get right game, right? And a chance to kind of reset everything. Well, if they don't win this week, then you didn't get anything right. You didn't prove anything, right? That reset didn't do anything for you. So yeah, I still think this is a big game. Let's not forget. They still can win the division. You know, it's it's going to hurt pretty bad if you lose to Miami and then somehow the Jets beat Buffalo. So I think you want to go into the playoffs knowing you did all you can do in terms of seeding and all of that. So, yeah, I I do think this game's maybe being slept on a little bit. I would agree with that. 
Yeah, I just think it's so important for this team because we have seen the consistency when they put it in, when they have full buy-in from the entire team. They can rattle off seven straight wins. And to win a Super Bowl, and I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves by saying this, but it's four straight wins when you have to play wild card weekend, divisional round, uh, AFC championship game, Super Bowl. The Patriots have been one of the best teams in the league at one point in time in this season. From a standings and and, uh, and statistical perspective, you look at some of the analytics during that seven-game winning streak, they were off the charts, offensively, defensively, and how they were producing on both sides of the ball. So keeping that rolling and segueing that into some of the matchup-specific things I wanted to get into uh, with the Dolphins – I think this is a great tune-up game for the Patriots. Now, I'm not 100% sold that the Dolphins are going to have 100% buy-in. They lost their chance to make the playoffs last last week. They're eliminated from the postseason. They came back from 1-7, and 1-7 seven, seven straight in their own right, and got really, really close to the postseason. So I think a lot of those veteran players might be checked out already for this game and uh, quickly getting ready for their vacation, right, and, and their postseason plans. But – if, so what I'd say to that though, yeah, I think you're you're negating Flores as a factor because Flores is yeah. a guy who's not going to quit, who's not going to give up, and they were sure. more than eliminated in nineteen when they yeah. came here and they but beat they the playing, in week seventeen. I, I, the feeling that I have about nineteen is, is I agree with you in your your point about Flores, but with nineteen, there was more spoiler to play. I would say with that 19 team that they could knock the Patriots out of the number one seed in the division and out of the buy or the, the conference, excuse me, and out of the buy, right. That was, I think a, a big deal to that team that they could go in there and wreck new England's playoff schedule and wreck their, their season ba- losing that game in, in yeah. week 17 and 19 wrecked the season. Right. No I, I think there's, there's some of that here. I think the dolphins, Coming into the year, the division was really supposed to be a three-horse race. The Bills were the favorite, but, you know, people had their, you know, some people thought the Patriots would bounce back as they have. And I think there are people who thought Miami was arguably the second-best team in the division with some of the additions they made in the offseason. So I think maybe you don't have that chance to play spoiler, but I think it's a chance for Miami, who had it for some of these guys who had a down year, who were potentially the second-best team in the division, to use this, like like if we're in Miami and we're doing this show, right? What I'm saying is this is a chance for the Dolphins with a disappointing year to come back and prove and have a springboard for going into next year. Hey, we're still in we're still among the top teams in this division. We beat New England twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's like that's point. what Miami's playing for. And I don't think that's insignificant. Yeah. Uh so I, I don't disagree with you. I think that there should be buy-in for Miami in that perspective. But my point uh that I wanted to get into about this being a great tune-up game for the Patriots. The Dolphins can put out there, especially defensively, in my mind, what will most likely be the blueprint for the Patriots' opponent in wildcard weekend, which is to play man coverage, to blitz and apply pressure on Mac Jones, and force the Patriots to beat you down the field. And that's what this Dolphins team does. That That's how their defense plays. I would say that Buffalo maybe has a better defense than Miami. Cincinnati certainly doesn't have a better defense than Miami. Neither does Indianapolis. So I think you can make the argument for the Bills. So the Bills would probably be a better defense. But in reality, this is one of the best defenses the Patriots will probably play the rest of the way. 
whether how yeah, far they yeah. go in the playoffs or not. This Miami defense, from a schematic perspective, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones being able to play press man on the outside, uh, their zero blitz package, but also some of their other blitzes that they do run where they don't send the house and they rush uh, four, sometimes in simulated pressures or five-man pressures. Uh, those blitzes are very effective as well. So being able to diagnose blitz pressure, uh, getting off of man coverage, uh, this is a very good litmus test or tune-up or warm-up for what my assumption would be if it's buffalo if it's cincinnati they're gonna come uh travel to those two locations i suppose and see a lot of man coverage and probably see a lot of pressure on mac jones as well so no better way to prepare for that in a tune-up game than to face brian flores and xavian howard and byron jones and this entire dolphins defense yeah, yeah. I, I again, I think this is a good team. I had Miami in the playoffs at the beginning of the year. I, I think this is, you know, this isn't some walkover opponent. This yeah. isn't the Jets. And I think people looking at this like the Miami teams of old, and they look at Tua, who's maybe not an established quarterback, but this is a team that can win despite they, they, they don't, they can win despite their quarterback. They don't win because yeah. they're quarterback. So, yeah, I would agree. Like this is, this is a wild card caliber team to me. I don't know if they're at the Patriots level, but it's a wild card caliber team. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to discuss here with Miami, I, I I think that the conversation's fun. I don't know how important it really is, but I've gone back and forth with some people on Twitter about this this week. And that's the Tua Tagovailoa conversation. Uh, I think isolated from anything to do with Mac Jones, that's a conversation that is being had in the walls of the Dolphins facility weekly. Certainly about the future of Tua and if he's the right guy and if he's the answer for them, the long-term answer. I think we can easily say that if Deshaun Watson gets cleared of his legal troubles and the Dolphins are going to be one of the first teams calling Houston about trading uh, for Deshaun Watson and would dump Tua in a heartbeat to get Watson in the building. But what are your feelings and your senses on Tua right now? Because Watson's its own thing, right? Obviously, there's a lot to do with the legal stuff, but Watson's so talented that I would say 25, 26 teams probably get rid of their quarterback to get Deshaun Watson if everything right. else is equal. So that one isn't really much to be said there. But what about moving on from Tua in general, uh, not necessarily knowing if the guy you're bringing in is going to be of Deshaun Watson's caliber? How have you assessed Tua so far this season, because I think a lot of people when I posted about Tua on Twitter came back and said, well, aren't you basically just describing Mac Jones? You know, somebody that can't push the ball down the field effectively, uh, that, you know, doesn't handle pressure too well, things like that. And I, I think that that couldn't be further from the truth, but I'm wondering what your assessment is. Yeah, I, you know, I think Tua has his moment. I've kind of talked about this before. I think Tua, and there there are some common issues between, between Tua and Mac, certainly. I think the, the difference is Max issues can be overcome by getting in the weight room or just NFL experience. Right. I think two is just that you, you can still see the issues from that yeah. injury. He suffered his yeah. last year of college and anybody who watched Tua at Alabama, he hasn't been that guy since yeah. that injury. Like he hasn't played right. at that level in the NFL. And it's not a matter of the NFL game being too fast for him or he can't understand it or anything like that. Like he just looks like he's physically held back. and. You always worry about that with smaller quarterbacks to begin with, right? Kyler Murray's a guy who generally fades towards the end of the year because, again, he's just, you know, the defenders in the NFL are bigger than they are in college. And you take so many hits over the course of the season, it adds up quicker on the smaller guys than the bigger guys. Baker Mayfield's another one. 
He finished, well, he almost finished the season. He's out this week, but he's been playing with a torn shoulder. He's got some problem with his knee. He's got some problem with his foot. So you, you worry about the smaller quarterback, certainly, and their durability. And then you throw on top of that with Tua, well, he has a bad hip. And that's probably something he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his career and the rest of his life. So I, you know, looking back at it, I think the Dolphins made the right pick. I don't know what information their medical team had. And I don't know how much we want to trust the Dolphins medical team. Shout out Drew Brees. But I do think that on pure talent, right, just watching the tape from what we saw before the injury, Tua was the second most talented quarterback in the draft. He might have been the most talented. I think pure talent-wise, he was right there with Burrow, different skill sets. But raw talent, he has it or he had it. I just think he's fighting through too much physically at this point, and it's all added up where – I mean, we talked about this on the last show. He's what, 23, 25, whatever it was? 23. Um, 23, and he's out there walking around like he's Big Ben. Yeah. The way he's limping around and all this and all that. He's missed games this year because of injuries. So I I feel bad for the guy. I'm a fan of his. I've always been a fan of his. I'd love to see him succeed Me even too. in Miami. But it's just you wonder if the physical if the, if he's taken the physical toll already and it's just too much. So I think if you're the Dolphins, look, I'm never in favor of blindly moving on from a, a, a capable quarterback. And I do think Tua is capable, and I think the way they've built their offense, they can win with him. But if you have a chance to get Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, I think you have to do that if you're Miami. The interesting one for me is now it's sounding like maybe Baker Mayfield wants out of Cleveland. Yeah. And that's see, that's one where Baker probably is a better option than Tua, but he does come with his own baggage like that. I don't know if you want to do this conversation today, if you want to do another time. Like that, to me, has the potential to be a really interesting one. Do you move yeah. on from Tua to to go get Baker and potentially have to pay him? Yeah, right. Um, and we we it would kind of be it would kind of be like what the Panthers did this year with Sam Darnold that ultimately didn't work out because again it's the same point in the contract. But um, that's so that's where I'm at with Tua. I just I I don't think it's a lack of talent. I don't think the Dolphins missed on the draft pick. You know, in a certain sense, I just think for 23 years old. He's he's physically taken on a full NFL career, it looks like, at this point. And it just happens to guys sometimes. You hate to see it, but I think it's the reality. What Miami didn't – they didn't miss on the talent evaluation. When they evaluated his tape at Alabama, he was a top five, top ten quarterback selection, maybe even a, a, a first overall pick if Joe Burrow doesn't have the year that he had. And there's no arguments to be made there. When you watch his his game at Alabama, he was that good. Uh, at Alabama. And I think one of the things that I always noticed from him at Alabama that maybe has translated a little bit to the NFL game, it was his pocket mobility, right? His, uh, he had such a great feel for the pocket and the ability to slide around the pocket and re-navigate and then reset and throw the football down the field. The issues that I see with him are where I think Mac is already ahead of him and, and maybe uh, uh, something that Mac is already better at him then is when the orig- when his first read is not there and the quick game RPO style of offense is not what he's running, right? When he has to hold the football in the pocket for more than, statistically speaking, if you look at PFF's numbers, when Tua has to hold the ball for more than two and a half seconds before he releases the football, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL statistically. He is number two in uh, turnover-worthy plays in those scenarios. Uh, he is number 25, I want to say it was, in PFF grade in those situations. Mac is already beyond Tua in terms of my first read isn't there. 
the initial read isn't there. How do I progress past that? Right. You know, what's my second, what's my third, uh, where should my eyes go now that this is not there? They have designed an offense in there in Miami. And I know a lot of dolphins fans and I was on a dolphins podcast earlier this week, and they were talking about how the offensive line doesn't allow them to push the ball down the field. Cause they have one of the worst pass blocking offensive lines, probably not one of the worst. They have the worst pass blocking offensive line in the NFL in Miami. But the problem is, is that when I look at this team and I look at the way that they're often, they have co-offensive coordinators. So their co-offensive coordinators are scheming up their offense. You have Jalen Waddle and Devonte Parker on the outside and no semblance of a vertical passing game whatsoever. Other than when the play breaks down, occasionally Tua will heave one up to one of those guys down the field. And it's not a part of their scheme. It's not a part of where their play calling. Everything is horizontally stretching the defense with RPOs, quick game concepts, getting the ball in Jalen Waddle's hands and watching him run with it. And maybe, uh, maybe I'm, I'm overrating Mac a little bit, but the way I feel when I watch Mac Jones is if you gave Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle, I think they'd be airing it out all season long, quite frankly. I, I think those two would be able to connect on deep balls consistently down the field every single week. So I think too is holding those guys back. Like Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle can get up the field and can make plays down the field. We've seen it so many times that they that those two guys, college pros, whatever. Max pocket presence, I would say, his ability to progress through the read, I think, is better at this point than Tua's. And all that Miami does, their play calling, yes, I'm sure it's impacted heavily by the offensive line, but I would also say their play calling is impacted heavily by the quarterback as well and what they feel like his physical limitations are too. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. That's CLNS50 to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. There was a couple of throws on tape watching to uh, against the Titans, watching him against the Giants earlier this year, which was his best graded game of the year from PFF, where he is either on the move or has a little bit of push from the inside of that offensive line and his feet aren't completely set and he's not able to step into the throw and he's throwing bounce passes down the field to guys right there. It's bouncing three or four yards in front of guys feet and, and not giving them an opportunity to make catches on the ball. So I love Tua coming out. I had him as QB two behind Joe Burrow as most people did. I don't think that anybody I wouldn't say anybody. The consensus was certainly not that Justin Herbert was the better prospect than Tua coming out of college. The consensus was clearly Burrow won uh, her uh, Tua two. So at that point, I agree that now they didn't necessarily blow the pick about his future and about how he stacks up against Mac Jones. I think Mac's already surpassed him. I, I would take Mac over Tua already if yeah. I had to draft it today. And if I'm Miami, I'm definitely looking for an upgrade. I'm definitely looking to move on at this point because you are just so limited 
you did not draft a guy in Jalen Waddle who runs a four two to not be able to push the ball down the field. That that just doesn't add up. And I know offensive line plays a factor in it as well, but Waddle's so fast that sometimes he can get down there fast enough, even if with a bad offensive line pass protecting. So it just feels like an offense that's really limited by the quarterback at this point. And I wanted to segue into that too. This, quite frankly, this RPO horizontal passing game and the quick game concepts. How many slants did Tua complete in that week one game? A hundred, it felt like. Uh, It wasn't that many, but it it felt like a hundred. This scheme has given the Patriots some problems in the past, right? Uh, Option scheme, certainly, uh, where they have a lot of things to think about and a lot of uh, issues to worry about at the mesh point in the backfield, but also the quick game, right? Just getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands and letting the receivers do most of the work. The Patriots have always been a really good defense throughout the years when they get the quarterback to hold the ball. They don't usually get beat too badly when they get the quarterback to hold the football. But when you can get the ball out quickly and you can hit these receivers on the run and you can hit Waddle and have him run with it after the catch, week one was not the best defensive performance. I rewatched that game. I rewatched the opening drive that Miami had. Remember that opening drive? They marched right down the field and scored a touchdown. I know the defense only gave up 17 points uh, to the Dolphins, but uh, I think that this is a nice test for them as well. Uh, to be able to handle some of these concepts and some of these in-breaking routes, slants, crossers. I'm sure those will be a big part of Miami's game plan. Yeah, it, it was specifically on impact down. So it was, you know, third, second and medium, third and short, that kind of thing. And they just, that was the play. When the Patriots defense had to make a play, they just got beat by the RPO time and time again. So yeah. again, you talked about, you know, it wasn't as many slants as maybe it felt like. I think the reason for that was, they were hitting those slants in the key moments. Yeah. And that's really what killed them. It was in the gotta have it spots. They just kept going back to that same well and the Patriots never adjusted. That's kind of been a theme this year, right? When the Patriots defense struggles is a lack of adjustment. So I think as much as it's about defending that play better and they do need to defend that play better. And I think they've gotten better against that play as the season's gone on. Right. Uh, As much as they need to defend that play better. I think that starts with just pre-snap recognizing when, Miami's in that set and that, or, or, you know, not in that set, I guess would be the wrong terminology, but it has a chance at that look yeah. because they do run a lot of RPOs. Like it's, it's easier said than done to just say, Oh, Hey, they want to RPO here. Cause they want to RPO a ton. Yeah. But I think just, you know, really looking at it situationally. And there was a really interesting quote actually from Bill Belichick this morning that indirectly relates to this. Somebody asked him about how watching film has changed from when he entered the league to now. And he talked about how much, you know, how much more in depth you can break the film down, right? If you want to say, if you want to say, Hey, I want to see all the film when this receiver and this tight end are on the field together. I want to see all the film when they're in 22 personnel, or I want to see all the film where it's, you know, third and three from this side of the field. So, you know, I wonder if there's a way to find something, some sort of tell on that situation, because I, again, this is much, so much easier said than done especially against a team like Miami. But I think against those RPO plays, recognizing them is half the battle. Yeah. And they seem to really struggle with that in week one. They seem to be really off guard when Miami was going for RPOs. And it's already such a hard play to defend strategically to begin with when you're not prepared for it, it only makes it harder. So that to me is a big part of the adjustment as much as they need to play it better after the ball is snapped. I think having an understanding before the ball is snapped of what sort of RPO they might run. Cause an RPO can be, you know, there's what five, six different 
basic RPOs, yes. um, you know, slant, bubble, et cetera. I think just having that kind of recognition goes a long way as much as just defending it better. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And in that week one matchup, what they play, they opened the game in a lot of cover three and they had the corners playing off. And there's one specific play. I remembered the, on the opening drive, JC Jackson's giving Jalen Waddle eight, nine yards of cushion. And instead of running a slant flat RPO is actually more like a curl flat RPO. And they hit it backside and Waddle got loose and ran for 17 yards on the play. And I look at that and I, I, see that those types of recognition is definitely very important, right? In terms of, they talked about it after that game. They gave them way too much cushion on the outside. So whether they're playing cover two and they're playing the low flats and and they're able to jam them because they have the guys behind them in the safety uh, alignments in the half field to be able to, you know, jam them up and then let them go. Or if they're playing press man against the Dolphins, they've got to get in these receivers' faces because, the statistics say it, the film says it, you get to it to hold the football and you get him to throw it down the field past 10 yards. And he is not as good of a quarterback as when he is in that quick game mode, right? That, that Those are the throws you give him the underneath stuff. He can find a real rhythm with that. And they right. do a nice job. They, they get a, a lot of motion. Uh, they'll run those like slide routes where the receiver comes across the formation and they'll hit him in the flat on the move so that they can have Waddle run with it. They'll also use Waddle as a decoy. So he'll come across in motion and he'll bring out the boundary corner with him and then they'll flood it, right? They'll run somebody underneath that and fill it from the underneath. So they use him as a decoy. They get him the ball. Uh, They do a bunch of different motion types of things. So physicality at the line of scrimmage is the most important thing about this matchup for the Patriots. They got to get their hands on people. They got to have their edges and their linebackers. That element of the game, they have to play physical there. If if you see somebody sliding across the formation, that guy should be getting decked. That's how you're going to have to handle a team like this. And you're really going to want Tua to push it down the field and beat you down the field. I, I don't think he'll be able to do it. So this isn't that far of a departure from the game plan that I expect them to go with if they play Buffalo, for example, right? Obviously a much different quarterback, but much more talented quarterback, but being physical at the line of scrimmage, I think is a really important thing for this team because when they're not physical and they get into these track meet flag football games, that's when they've had a lot of trouble, whether it was Dallas or it was Buffalo in week 16, the offenses that have really put up points against them, they've allowed them to just run around and do pretty much whatever they want with no resistance. They got to get that physicality back and be able to bring it at the line of scrimmage. Otherwise uh, these teams are too fast for them and they end up overwhelming them. Yeah. And I think maybe the difference is, you know, in the preseason two looked really good and he looked healthy and he was throwing the ball deep a little bit. And you mentioned that with guys like Devonte Parker and Jalen Waddle, you can have that, that deep element to the offense. And I think maybe that's what the Patriots were looking at. This is the difference between playing a team week one and week 18, right? Yeah. Tua looked as healthy as he's looked throughout the summer. And I think the Patriots were legitimately worried about him beating them deep. And they figured they'd give up all the underneath stuff, yada, yada, yada. 17 weeks later here. All right. Well, now it's clear that that's not the case. Right. So they can play it differently. I think that's, you know, a major adjustment for the Patriots to make in this one. It's just, you know, more about Tua now. So it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Okay. One last thing about the defense I wanted to talk about. Uh, Kyle Duggar mispractice all three days with a hand injury i would assume within the hour here we will learn that he's going to be ruled out for this game on friday so i 
would be shocked if Kyle Duggar plays in the game on Sunday. Miles Bryant is on the COVID-19 reserve list. We've seen other players get cleared on Saturday and play in the game on Sunday that have had COVID. But regardless of if Bryant comes back or not, I think this is the one thing that I would maybe use this game as a preseason tryout type of influence is at that cornerback position. Jawan Williams, Sean Wade, D'Angelo Ross, whoever you want to give the opportunity to, I think that they have to find out if they have a fourth corner that can play. Because I look at the matchups, and as we start to talk about some of the matchups in the in the postseason, whether it's Buffalo, whether it's Cincinnati, uh, it could be Kansas City, most likely won't be, but it could be Kansas City. You talk about teams that have a lot of really good receivers and a lot of really good depth at wide receiver. And I look at the two most likely teams in particular, the Bills and the Bengals, and maybe against Buffalo, you can play zone, and that's how you use Miles Bryant in that game. But I don't see a great matchup for Miles Bryant and man coverage in either game. We saw how it went against Buffalo with Isaiah McKenzie. That was not fun. Right. We, I think we can all understand that Tyler Boyd would be a really difficult matchup for Miles Bryant if they draw Cincinnati, who's one of the better slot receivers in the league in, with the Bengals. So you talk about all of that, maybe – Sean Wade has a great week 17, maybe or week 18. Maybe D'Angelo Ross has a great regular season finale playing in the slot. And maybe they have not who they're going to start in the game. Maybe Miles Bryant still gets the start. But if he doesn't play well, like he did in week 16 against Buffalo, you at least have an option to go to. I think the biggest detriment to that game plan against Buffalo might have been the fact that Jawan Williams and Sean Wade were both inactive. And the Patriots went into that game and said, we're going to live or die with this cornerback trio. And we're not going to have any other options active for the game. And that really seemed to cost them because they had no option but to throw Miles Bryant out there time and time again against Isaiah McKenzie. If one of these players pops off in week 18, I'd like to see him active on the roster on wildcard weekend to at least give them a fourth corner to throw out there if they absolutely have to. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you. And I think if the Patriots draw the Bengals, right, boy, you'd love to have get something from Juwan Williams in that game. Yeah. I think Juwan Williams on T. Higgins is a fine matchup, honestly. I know that's crazy to think, but like T. Higgins is is a jump ball guy, right? I mean I'm wondering if it would be more Juwan Williams on Tyler Boyd. No, in the slot? No. No. I would put Jalen Mills in the slot. Okay, fair Um, enough. I'd move Jalen Mills inside. I play him on Tyler Boyd. I'd allow Jawan Williams to go play basketball with T Higgins on the outside. And I'd obviously have JC on chase with a lot of help because chase is anybody that's on chase is going to need a lot of help. Right. I yeah. mean, the guy is unreal. So you have that, those matchups. I think Jalen Mills moving inside is the answer for them. If they can get enough out of Wade or Williams on the outside that they feel comfortable because I look well, at Wade's, Gabe, Wade's probably at his best as a slot corner. That's the thing. Wade's somebody he was at his best in Ohio state as a slot corner. I think he's been working a lot more at outside corner with the Patriots, but okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Go ahead. I, yeah. I, look, I'd love to see Sean Wade get in the lineup. He's somebody I thought is, a, yeah. you know, an ideal fit for their scheme, what they want to do defensively. I had him circled during the draft. Ultimately they didn't take him. Right. But yeah. Yeah, they need this goes back and Evan, we were texting about this before. Yeah. This goes back to something the two of us have been ye- really yelling about since yeah. spring practices. They don't have enough corners. Yeah. They just don't have enough bodies. It goes back to who remembers the number? Jason McCordy. Remember when I said this five times a show for like a month and a half? I know. 
Jason McCourty played 65. He looks so annoyed. Jason McCourty I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed because they, percent of the there's no way that Bill Belichick year. didn't see this coming, right? Like, they knew that Stephon Gilmore wasn't going to be a part of this team. I am convinced by the time they got to training camp that they knew that Stephon Gilmore was not going to play for the Patriots this year. They knew that if they got anybody injured in that cornerback group, it happened to be Jonathan Jones, that they had no depth there. They had no depth there. And right. on top of all of that, Jalen Mills is playing out of position in my mind. He's been fine and they've held it down with him at, at, at the CB2 spot. But I think they assigned Jalen Mills to be a safety and he's in here playing corner out of necessity. So we, yeah, we, we were all over this. We knew this was coming. And I can't imagine if we saw it on the roster as a deficiency that Bill Belichick didn't see it. I mean, obviously he did. And I'm wondering if that, you know, he's probably counting on getting something for Miles Bryant, which I think they have. He yeah. had the best game, the bad game in Buffalo. But besides that, I think he's played well. I think they're counting on D'Angelo Ross, too, who's the guy who had yeah. a third straight strong camp and he got derailed by injuries the last two years. But he's a guy who's given them something. Uh, you know, it goes back to the question of, well, you know, then why wasn't he active? Why wasn't somebody he somebody who played in that second Bills game? But I think he was Bill was planning on just kind of going in that depth and, and they have to varied success this year. Um, but yeah, this is kind of one of the bigger questions about the roster from the beginning of the year, coming back to bite the Patriots where, you know, I think the top end corners, I think, uh, JC Jackson and Jalen Mills and, and John Jones, you're cooking with that group, especially yeah. when you have great safety play from Devin McCourty. Like that's a very reasonable group, but the depth that they had had, right. The last few years, Guys like uh, guys like Jason McCourty, guys like Deron Harmon at a safety, maybe letting Devin come up and play some corner when they needed that to happen, right? Yeah. That sort of depth that they've had that, that was so uh, rare that they'd been able to hold on to that depth for so long, that was depleted over the last two years, and they seem to be a little slow catching up to that. Yeah, the cornerback depth is, has been a problem, and it looks to me like if there's one thing about this defense that I would point to and say – this could be potentially a fatal flaw of their roster. It's when they get into a matchup against Cincinnati in a week, and I'm saying hypothetically, of course, they get into a matchup with Cincinnati, and Cincinnati has Chase, Higgins, and Boyd, and the Patriots have to play two guys that are probably in over their heads. One, I think, can stay afloat in Jalen Mills. I think Miles Bryant would get beat like a drum in man coverage against Tyler Boyd. I, I don't think that that would be, I think that would be Isaiah McKenzie all over. Again. I mean, I think it, it would be the same and different. I think he'd have trouble. The difference is Boyd, Boyd's big. Boyd's yeah. one of these big slot guys, right? Six, two, like two Oh five, something like that. So Miles Bryant's a smaller guy. That's kind of, that's why he was undrafted. He's an outside corner in wa at Washington. He could do it at the college level. He couldn't do yeah. it. He, he's just not big enough to be an outside corner. So he had to move into the slot. Right. That that's a, that's a, a horror. And that's why I say maybe Juwan Williams in the slot, just because you get that size against Tyler Boyd. But uh, I worry about Tyler Boyd has got some real shiftiness to him. He does. So so maybe that's not the perfect matchup. Yeah. But again, I just Miles Bryant, you know, in theory should be guarding the slot receivers like an Isaiah McKenzie. Although ultimately, maybe he's too fast. But a guy like Cole yeah. Beasley, right? like those sorts of slot receivers, the big slots, it's a mismatch for him. It's yeah. just the reality of it. It's a size thing. Yeah. So I, I really like the idea of maybe seeing what Jawan Williams or if it's Sean Wade, or if it's D'Angelo Ross inside, there's one of these other guys in this matchup, especially, I mean, Brian probably isn't going to play in the game because of COVID anyways. So give one of these guys an opportunity in a week 18 game that doesn't have 
major playoff implications. They're already right. in the postseason. And let's see what happens because maybe you start the game with the trio that got you here anyways, right? JC, Jalen, and uh, and Miles Bryant. Maybe you start there. But if Isaiah McKenzie starts to pop off or Tyler Boyd starts to pop off, at least you give yourself another option and somebody that's been involved and been integrated and installed into game plans before that they can go to on the bench and say, D'Angelo Ross, why don't you go take Isaiah McKenzie for a drive and let's see how that goes. Or let's move Jalen Mills inside and let's put Sean Wade or Jawan Williams on the boundary and see how that goes, right? You just have some more options there. I thought they left themselves really hamstrung by the fact that they didn't have any of those options in that week 16 game against Buffalo. So that that's one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing that I'm looking for on Sunday is to see how the Patriots who gets that opportunity with Brian and Duggar uh, most likely out or limited by COVID in Miles Miles Bryant's case. And can those players play well? Uh, Can those guys stand out and, and be somebody that that can give them some time and some playing time and snaps in the playoffs. Cause that could be important for the Patriots moving forward. One last thing uh, here on this matchup, then we'll talk about the playoffs. Um, Mac, the Patriots offense, all of it against this blitz package. I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. I think that this is a really good uh, tune-up for that as well. I think teams are going to come after Mac, whether it's Cincinnati or Buffalo. I think they're going to blitz Mac in the playoffs, and they're going to try to speed up his process. He's been the second most blitz quarterback in the NFL this year. It was a bigger problem early on in the season. They seem to have figured it out a little bit later in the season. They did really well last week against it with Jacksonville, but that's Jacksonville. Uh, This is a great pressure package a great defense that loves to blitz uh i'm really interested to see how they handle it this time around because if they get put on tape that back goes you know three for 15 against the blitz or something crazy like that then you know that the wild card opponent is going to take notice of that yeah i think it's something maybe should be talked about more this year it's going to be the major talking point around mac jones next year so i'll tell tell everybody you're ready for it is yeah can mac jones succeed against the blitz because that's that's the big check mark checkbox for a young quarterback. We kind of saw that with Burrow a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, or last week. Uh, who who did the the Bengals play that they blew at? They blew Kansas City. Off of Kansas City. That's right. Right where they were blitzing, they were blitzing Joe Burrow a good amount, and he just shredded him. He ripped him apart, and he kind of yeah. put the league on notice that hey, you can't just blitz me. Right. And I think every young quarterback, you don't need to do it right away. I think it's unrealistic to expect it right away, but I think every young quarterback needs that game where they kind of tell the rest of the league, you can't just blindly blitz me yeah. because I'm going to take advantage. And Mac hasn't had that yet. I'm not saying he needed to have it yet. It's not a red flag that he hasn't. But I think you're going to see it. Like you said, I think you're going to see it against Miami. I think you're going to see it as long as Patriots win the playoffs and get ready for that to be the big talking point next year. Because I think, however, if the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl, I think a big part of their downfall is going to be Mac Jones against the Blitz. Because the Blitzes you see in the NFL are just so different than the Blitzes you see in college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, their receivers. I mean, I, I think Jacoby reacted well to a lot of blitzes last week uh, that Jacksonville yeah. threw at them and was able to get open against some of the pressure. And then when they bailed out, they were also able to get guys open off the pressure. Uh, but I think the one thing that you look at is uh, David Andrews talked about this today. When I asked him about it, he was talking about hot routes, right? And right. sometimes there's just not enough blockers, right? They send six guys at you. You only have five in the protection or they send the house and you have six in protection, but you only, there's going to be an unblocked blitzer somewhere or the scheme allows uh, them to create an unblocked rusher. It's on the receivers and the quarterback at that point to get the ball out. 
and quick separation early on in the down, I think is going to be an important thing for the Patriots to put on tape as well. They did, were able to do it last week with Jacoby, but that was against a much inferior defense, right? A significantly inferior defense. Right. Let's see if they can do it against a better defense in Miami this week. And I agree with you, 18th in passer rating against the Blitz this year. It's not terrible. It's not 30th. But it's right. 18th. So he's been I, fun. Like that's I'm not trying to say Mac Jones sucks against the Blitz. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that yeah. again, that game Burrow had. I remember Herbert had a game like that yeah. last year, like towards the end of the year. I don't remember who he played. You're just it's a step in the development. And go back to the beginning of the year when I talked about Mac Jones had, had that checklist, right? Of just all the boxes yeah. he needed to check off. That's one of the last things on that list is just show that the Blitz isn't a a catch-all. Right. Feature. And look, maybe, maybe it is this week. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying he can't do it now. I'm not saying he can't do it in the playoffs, but get ready for that to kind of, cause that's the next step. Like I, we don't need to have the conversation. Is he an NFL quarterback or not? Right. We know he is. We don't need to have the conversation. Is he a starting NFL quarterback or not? I think we know he is yeah. now it's all right. You know, what level starting quarterback is he? Is he top 15? Can he get into the top 10? Can he push the top five? And a big part of that is, you know, all these elite quarterbacks, Part of the reason they're elite is defenses just can't blitz them because yeah. they'll make the they'll make the other team pay. So can Mac prove he's at that level? I don't know if he can or can't. I I, I think he can. It's just a matter of if and when he gets there, and he's not there until he's there. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think there is a chance. Look, all right, one last thing on the blitz: hunt with the football and cover zero. Right? If, yeah. if they bring the house. You got to hit hunt one-on-one -on -one matchups down the field. I thought that one of the best plays that I've seen the Patriots have, and I'll say it again. I know it was the Jaguars, but the My the uh, Jacoby Myers touchdown against the Jags, I thought was one of the best plays that they've had in the red zone all year long because they had a mirror concept. It was smash, you know, under corner route on both sides. They bring Hunter Henry in motion. He sees man coverage. He knows they're going to bring the house and cover zero. And he just attacked the one-on-one -on -one matchup to Jacoby's side and, and cover zero and throws a dime. Those are the types of throws that you got to throw against the zero blitz. They are bringing the house and they're taking everybody out of the back end, right? You got one-on-one -on -one everywhere. Right. So find your leverage matchup and attack with the football on the outside. The Patriots have to be able to do that against zero blitzes. The receivers have to be able to get open against man coverage and do that against zero blitzes and put it all together. One last thing. Keep saying that. Um, Dolphins deep run defense last week got shredded by the Tennessee Titans. They gave up 150 yards on the ground. The Titans ran all over them, even without Derrick Henry. I would assume the Patriots are going to run the football a good amount this week, too. I know that we all want to see Matt Cook, and we want to see them problem-solve man coverage and blitzes and be ready for all of that in the in the pre, uh, postseason. But uh, this is a Dolphins defense that's just asking for you to run the ball. They are one of these new-age defenses that are built to stop the pass. Their whole pressure package is built to stop the pass. They run a lot of light fronts with pass rushing talent on the field. Uh, so I would expect them to, th to run the football quite a bit. So in that question or in that idea, uh, does Damian Harris play in this game? Should Damian Harris play in this game? Or should they just let Ramondre uh, run wild uh, against Miami on Sunday outs? Yeah, I... I, it, it comes back to kind of how I know this is a cop out answer. It, it goes back to how the game goes. If they can get an early lead, yeah, let them run the ball. Yeah. You know, whatever. Cause again, you sit on those RPOs and you wait. And if, if they get ahead, eventually Miami's going to have to throw and two will throw you one. If they get behind, now yeah, it's trickier. Sure. I don't know that yeah. I want Miami just running out the clock because how much, you know, do you want to be chasing 
points and time. Right. So I think ideally you just let Miami run the ball. Like it there, you talk about their offensive line being one of the worst pass yeah. blocking offensive lines in the league. They're not great run blocking either. No, they're, they're terrible so, altogether. Their right. scheme runs are pretty good. Like they have, they do a good job with motion and two as a threat. Right. So they run a lot yeah. of zone read and stuff like that. So uh, they do a decent job of scheming it up in the run game to get something out of it. I'm trying to I'm blanking on the running back that they picked up. Uh, that's been solid for them, but uh, they've been able to, gash some runs but it's not consistent right yeah maybe they'll get you for a 25 yarder here or there but it's not like they're going to be able to run the ball on you all day yeah so i again i just let him run ideally but if you get behind i don't know that you have that luxury so it goes back to that big thing of they need to score first yeah this team needs to score first to operate the way they want to operate that's just the reality of it yeah belichick said it after the game in the the patriots locker room sound you know, they got to be physical. They got to start fast. Uh, they right. got to put up, they got to put all the work in. They're not talented enough to cut corners. So that, that, that was sort of the message from the head coach. And uh, that's reflective uh, of what this team has been this year. Let's t- look at these playoff matchups. I think uh, I saw some bills uh, fans in the chat trolling, trolling away uh, with some of our, our listeners. And uh, Is that, not- that notable. I saw his name was Nate. Is that that notable? Nate, the guy on Twitter that likes to come after people, it's a Bills fan. Yeah, you know, we're talking about. I, like, I don't know why all these Bills fans are dude, in our, are I'm watching. Sorry, that. dude. It's it's Friday afternoon. Yeah, go do. Go something. enjoy your weekend. You're in here sitting behind just player. a first name and an anonymous picture coming at us when the Patriots aren't even playing the Bills this week. My God, the real estate. Oh, the Bills. Oh, we're over it. We're so over it. You guys are obsessed with us. No, you're the ones who keep coming in here. Yeah. You're the ones who keep coming in here talk about how down the Patriots are. By the way, same record. Same yeah. record. And one of the two teams didn't lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> keep that in mind. But yeah, thanks for the message. I really appreciate the views. I really appreciate you watching. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, Nate, all of it. We love having you. Thanks for coming out. Get a body bag for Nate. That was that was a tough look for Nate. All right. They're not going to like my opinion on who I would rather play next weekend, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Uh, The most likely matchups, as I mentioned earlier, Patriots-Bills, Patriots-Bengals. That's the feel right now. There is a chance if the uh, Bills lose that the Patriots could jump right and win the division and then maybe get the Colts right a 3-6 situation. Well, there's also a chance... The Patriots could host if the if the Patriots win, the Bills lose. It goes the other way. The Patriots could right. host the Bills too. I yeah, think it does. It definitely feels like we're headed towards either the Bills or I. I, I think there's like a fifty percent chance that I hate the predictive stuff, but I think there's like a fifty percent chance it's the Bills. What is that? Say that again. I hate the predictive stuff. Yes, that's hey. the math, right? That's the math. No, 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 no. We've come a no, long way not. this year on no, this show. Not. I love it. Hey, and, and maybe like a 35, 40% Shout chance that's, Peace, by the way. that's Cincinnati. Yeah, forget Dean Peace. Anyways, uh, I want the Bills. I want the Bills. And I'm not saying that the Bills are a bad football team. It's not an easy game to play. It's not going to be an easy out. That's No one's saying they're a cupcake, tomato can, whatever you want to call it, right? That's a tough football game and a good football team that they would have to beat. But the way that I look at it is that with this Patriots team, we keep on talking about it. They have to start hot. They have to start fast in these games. And I would rather go into a game with the devil you know than the devil that you don't know in the Cincinnati Bengals. Because if you have to have a great game plan, you have to have a great start, you have to have a great opening script if you're Josh McDaniels, 
going up against a Cincinnati team that you haven't played, especially with this collective of players, there's going to be a feeling out process there. And my concern is that the Patriots would get behind in a game like that because they might not know exactly how to match up against Burrow right away. I think Belichick would probably figure it out at halftime, but I don't know if they would be able to figure out the Bengals instantly. And I think that that would be a concern to me. I also watched that Kansas City tape and Jamar Chase is absolutely terrifying on every single level. I would rather play Stephon Diggs. Diggs is a great player. The explosiveness that Jamar Chase brings to the table and the fact that he can just blow by the defense for these 80-yard touchdowns is a whole other element that is just really difficult to stop. So I look at the Bengals, and I don't like the uncertainty. I just I don't know how they match up against Cincinnati. I think that that's going to be a mix and match early in the first half, and that to me spells the Patriots being down 17-7 to and having to dig themselves out of a hole. Yeah, I think the, the flip side of that argument would be it's a feeling out process for the Bengals too. And Burroughs never played Belichick. Right. So that's, that's the thing on paper. You feel like, wait a second, it's a young quarterback, a coach for the first time coaching in the playoffs. There is an angle. Certainly that the Bengals could come in and they could be tight. Right. And they could, there's definitely that angle to it. Yes. So, I mean, that that's where I'm at. I also think the Bengals probably are worse defensively than the bills. Right. Yes. So I look at it and say, well, yeah, if the receivers get the ball in their hands, that's going to be a problem for Cincinnati, but can Burrow get it to them? And it's not me doubting Joe Burrow. It's just a young quarterback going up against Bill Belichick for the first time. If this pass rush can kind of refine where they were during that seven-game winning streak and they're kind of on his ass throughout the game and Bill's throwing all these disguised coverages at him, is he going to be able to get the ball to Jamar Chase? Is he going to be able to get the ball to these guys, right? The Bills don't, or sorry, the Bengals don't run a ton uh, of designed, you know, they're not a big screen team, right? No, they play they're the not- hits. I like, I, I kind of like that about Zach Taylor, but I also think that it's a little bit of a deficiency is that they don't actually have a system. They right. steal they don't- plays from all the other systems, right? So there's like a little Shanahan McVay in there and there's a little Earnhardt Perkins like spread type of stuff in there. And then there's a little bit under center stuff in there. It's like, if they just take like all of the hits from all the like, you know, fun schemes around the NFL that people like to steal from, and you put it all in one playbook, that would be the Bengals playbook. Which, look, isn't necessarily a horrible strategy. I know a right. lot of people who run their Madden franchise like that. Yeah. But I, I think they don't necessarily, I don't know that they have that play to jumpstart the offense if it's not going, right? Yeah. They don't have, you know, that, that tunnel screen or the end around, or like they don't do a ton of that stuff. So I just think if, if Belichick can get to Burrow and the pass rush can get to Burrow, yeah, and then the defense isn't quite as good. Look, I, it's a it's a tough decision. I'm honestly not sure which way I want to go because the other, you know, I can go back and say, well, you got to give an answer. You can't stay on the fence. It, well, so so I'm kind of explaining my thought process. So okay. I think the other side of that is, yeah, I think you have a better, you might have a better chance to get up early against the Bengals and build a multi scored lead against the Bengals. But I think the Bengals might be better at chasing points from behind. Yeah, I think you know, da- can you run out the clock on the Bengals? the way you can run out the clock on the bills. I don't think so. Right. I, you know, if that's a, a 14, 17 point game going into the fourth quarter, like now we're really pushing, let's say the Patriots are up two scores going into the fourth quarter. That game's not over against yeah. Buffalo. That game might be over. That's a front running team. So I go back and forth on it. I think ultimately I want like, as a fan, 
I want the Bills because it's just yeah. such an epic game, right? Yeah. Like, who are the Bengals? It's a good team. They got a lot of good young players. I think they're going to yeah. be a feature in the AFC, but and there's there's ultimately juice. The Patriots are back in the playoffs. Mac Jones first playoff game, all that. There's ultimately juice, but I mean, with the like, you're talking like if like if this was baseball, would you rather see the Red Sox play? Kansas, the Royals in the first round, or would you rather see them play the Yankees? Do you want to see the 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 Bruins against the Florida Panthers, or do you want them against Montreal? Right? Yeah. It feels like, and this is where I'll give the Bills credit. It feels like for the first time in a long time, there's a legitimate rivalry with the Patriots. It's not Big Brother, Little yeah. Brother. It's toe to toe, face to face, eye to eye, trying to kick each other's ass. Right? Yeah. I don't think. The Patriots have really had that kind of rival since Manning retired. Yeah. Maybe for a little bit with Baltimore there. Yeah. But it wasn't really sustained. And that wasn't, that was more Baltimore upsetting the Patriots. I don't think anybody thought those two teams were on the same level. Baltimore just kind of had the Patriots number for, for like a two to three year window there. Yeah. This is a legitimate heavyweight rivalry between the Patriots and Bills right now. And it's going to be for the next few years. So, I, I guess like that puts it over the top for me is like, I just, I want to see that game. I think that would be an incredible game. I think it would be a very exciting game. Yeah. So I think the reason why I, I favor wanting to play the bills is because you know exactly what not to do from week 16. You right. have the tape that you can go in there with your defense, especially, and even offensively too, but defensively in particular, you can go into those guys on Monday or Tuesday and say, fellas, we cannot play like we did in week 16. We're taking that game plan. We're throwing it in the Charles river and we're starting from scratch. And we're coming up with something completely different that probably has more resemblance to how they played them uh, the first time around, but maybe has no resemblance to either heavily because I think the windstorm played a huge factor in the first game and how they played them. I think they would play, very, very little man coverage against Buffalo the second time around. They would rush Allen better the second time around. They'd be more physical with the receivers. And I said the second time around because I, I really don't count the first game. But, I mean, do, do you remember going into that game with the talking points were? Was that, yeah. oh, the Patriots made all these mistakes against the Colts and they'll fix them. And then they came out and they coached just as poorly. So it's, do do you trust the Patriots to make those adjustments? I, I, Buffalo? I like to think that they would. You know, I think that... The point so that's not answering that, the question. You'd like to think that they would will because that's what I said going into that yeah, game. I'd yeah. like to think that they'll change everything they did against the Colts, and then they didn't. Week 16, the Patriots had a terrible game, and the Bills and Josh Allen pitched a perfect game. They pitched a perfect game, and I would also say that schematically, Dable and Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott on the defense, they emptied the bag. They threw the kitchen sink at the Patriots in week 16. That was everything that they have in the bag. That was their best possible game against the Patriots and their best possible game plan. Now Bill Belichick has already seen all that. And the when you go back and forth with adjustments and things like that, right, the Patriots have already seen Buffalo's best. Now it's time for the Patriots to respond and make the adjustments. And to me, I think that they would have an upper hand in a rematch because of that. Because I don't think that the Bills have actually seen the Patriots schematically, X's and O's wise, empty the kitchen sink at them the way that Buffalo did in week 16. I mean, the crossing. But they they need to do it. That's the thing they need to do. Although I, I, so I will say again, because I'm going back and forth on this. The teams beating Bill Belichick twice in a year, it's a very, very, very short list. Yeah. 
and you know bill gets a third look at a team he's gonna know them inside and out so yeah i think i think there is the an advantage for the if, Patriots if bill, in facing a team for a third time if bill belichick is still the master if he's still yoda right if he's still yeah. the jedi master that but he's not like, he's the emperor he's not, wait, he's the, the emperor okay here? sorry if he's the emperor, right, and he and he's the Sith Lord that we all think he is, he will know exactly what they did wrong in week 16, and he will know exactly how to fix it, right? And yeah. to me, I I know what the Bills are going to do to try to stop the Patriots' offense. They're going to play inside leverage man. They're going to hug up on the checkdowns. They're going to make Mac Jones beat them down the field. I know what the Bills are going to do on offense. They're going to uh, stress middle of the field zone. Uh, they're going to work the crossing routes. They're going to allow Josh Allen to buy time and throw the ball on the move. And they're going to try to beat the Patriots in that flag football game when they have the football. I know the Patriots. I know exactly what the Patriots would do to counter it. If they are, if they do it right. And I, I just feel like they have, they at least have all the information that they need to put together the perfect game plan against Buffalo against Cincinnati. I'm just worried that, they are a new team. They are a, a new operation from in terms of personnel. Uh, they've never played the Bengals before. It, it just feels a lot of newness that they would have to go through to be able to have the perfect gameplay. Because I, I think that this team, in order for them to win a wild card weekend, they have to win the game from start to finish. And they have to be the better team early on. And most importantly, they have to win the first quarter. If they don't yeah. win the first quarter, they're going to be toast. And I have a better hope that McDaniels and Steve, if you want to give Steve the, the, the nod in terms of game planning and play calling uh, or defensive play calling, I have the hope that McDaniels and Steve would know what to do against, uh, against the bills against Cincinnati. I think that's a feel out game. And when you had Brady, you could be down at halftime and feel it out and make the adjustments and come back out in the second half and blow doors. I don't know if you can do that anymore. I don't I know. If it's a feel out game anymore. for them too. I just, you're acting like it's only a feel out game one way. I think, I think I'm acting that way because I think Cincinnati has more talent, especially on offense. Right. So I feel like the feel out is maybe not as much of a factor. Cause I think they have the better but, quarterback. But feel out's more of a coaching thing, isn't it? And the Patriots have the better coach. They do. They do. That's the difference, right? As I have a really tough time wrapping my head around Zach Taylor beating Bill Belichick in a playoff game. I can wrap my head around Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase beating Bill Belichick in a playoff game. That coach, that defense is definitely way worse than Buffalo's defense. So that that's yeah. another angle to this. But I don't know. I, I just like the idea of the Patriots saying, we did everything wrong in week 16 against Buffalo. We're going to do everything right this time and around. Let, let's not forget, the Patriots, that's arguably the Patriots' worst game of the year. They played yeah. against the Bills. Definitely dropped J.C. Jackson interception away from winning it. You're right. I mean, Josh Allen gate tried to give the game, like the SpongeBob meme with the ice cream. Yeah. Take it. Right. Josh Allen basically gave them that game and they gave it right back to him. So yeah, they can play their worst game. Like this is what I think people forget. People act like that was a blowout. Yeah. And, and yes, the bills played their best game of the year and the Patriots played their played worst it. game of the year. And it was really one score game until late. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the way I feel about it too. Is like, you were right there in the fourth quarter. Right, yeah, and that as was ugly as that was. That was the per they pitched a perfect game, and you were still it was still one nothing in the ninth inning, right? You know, yeah. like it, so I feel like they were right there with them. I don't know, Bengals. I under it's it's no offense to to our our good friend Mike Petraglia, not exactly a winning franchise, right? Not exactly known. 
for winning in the playoffs, not exactly known for winning Super Bowls. So sure, there there's a lot of angles, Zach Taylor, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the Bills, good football team, been there last year. Uh, they'd be a tough out too. Any of it would be fun. It's going to be fun regardless. I want no part of the Colts. I want no part of Kansas City. I don't think they can really play the Colts. They play the Colts at home, right? They wouldn't have right. – uh, they can't play the Colts in Indy because they're not going to win the division, uh, their division. Um, I want no part of Kansas City. I did, no thank you. Um, I, I want no part of Kansas City. I want no part of Tennessee. Those are the two best teams in the conference. Yeah. Um, By right. the way, do you remember what my preseason Super Bowl pick was? No, I don't. Titans Packers. Who are the one seed in each conference? Titans are not going to the Super Bowl. They're getting they got to the one seed without Derrick Henry. Oh, look, I don't know that they're getting there either. That's but they got to the one seed without Derrick Henry. Now they're getting them back. They're not going to the Super Bowl. People have been sleeping on the Titans all year. All year. And now they're the one seed without their best player playing half the season. So you'd rather the Bills. Just for the theater of it or just because you like the matchup better? I think I, I think I like the Bengals matchup as a fan of football. And as somebody wants to cover a big game, I want the bills in terms of the Patriots and somebody wants to cover, you know, hopefully another super bowl to see the Patriots get there. I think I want the Bengals. I do. I'll take the coaching matchup. I'm not worried yeah. about it being a feel out game. Cause I think that's more about coaching than playing. Um, I think bill can get to burrow. I think the pass rush can get to burrow. And I think that Bengals defense gives Mac Jones more room for error, which certainly helps. I neither one's a good matchup. Like I'd much rather see them win the division and get the Raiders, right? Or the yeah. Chargers again. Make those guys come here. But uh I th- I think by a smidgen, by a smidgen, I'd rather have the Bengals than the Bills. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. The Bills definitely pitched a perfect game in the chat. Please. Please. Well, they can I never know. they did they didn't because Allen tried to throw the game away at the end. Okay, but like Josh Allen's always going to have a few throws like that per game, right? I mean, that was as well as as the Bills can play. And look, they played at a very high level. That's not a knock on the Bills. Yes, Bills are a good team. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not overconfident the Patriots have beat the Bills. I'm not confident the Patriots have beat Buffalo. I'm just confident that their coaching staff knows how to beat Buffalo. And that's enough for me. I don't know if they know how to beat the Bengals because they never played the Bengals before. I know that the Patriots know how to beat Buffalo. Can they go out there and execute the game plan to beat Buffalo? That's a whole nother story. But I know that they know how. And that's that's the biggest thing. I, I get me. that. I get that. That makes sense. Look, I, I'm not going to disagree. Like, if somebody says, oh, I'd rather them play the Bills. Like, I think it's close enough that everybody's going to have their own reason and you can't yeah. really debate it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. but again, I think they're best off. Get the win. Let's go Jets. And hope that the Raiders or the Chargers come to Foxborough. I think that's ultimately, as unlikely as it is, yeah. that's ultimately the best case scenario. All right, we do in Boston Sports Minute before we sign I off. We I don't know how many people we're going to lose on, on this. Maybe we'll gain some people talking about the other Boston sports. Uh, first, uh, really quickly. Well, I hey, the Buffalo fans can't chirp us for it because they, they lost their NBA team years ago. That's true. The uh, Really quickly on the Bruins because we really want to talk about the Celtics. That's the big thing. Really quickly on the Bruins. Uh, I love that Tuka Rask is coming back. I love it. I, I watch a good amount of Bruins with Jess, and I got to tell you that I have no problems with Olmark. I think Olmark is a, a solid goalie, but he doesn't make that save. You know, you need the goalie to sometimes like steal your game and make a, a save or two that he has no business making on a breakaway or something like that. Feels like every single time the other team gets a breakaway against the Bruins, it's a goal. Every time. I can't have that. I yeah. need to grasp back in the net. The Celtics, my goodness. 
Well, wait, can I get my Bruins thought real quick? Yes, you can. I think it's good that Rask is coming back. I think it, you know, and I know some people aren't super high on him, but I think he's actually going to make the other players better. If you watch kind of how the Bruins have played defensively in front of Olmark and Swim, and they do look like they're overcompensating at times. Yeah. Um, and guys on the team have talked about this. I think there's just a yeah. level of trust with Rask that lets everybody play a little bit more freely. And, yeah. the, the, and that's been a big problem for the Bruins this year. They've looked tight at times. And I think if, even if, if Rask at the very least gives them that freedom, he's not going to put up worse numbers than Olmark. Like worst case scenario, I think he's comparable to what Olmark's giving you. If he can be that, and then he adds a level of comfort for the guys in front of him and lets them play a little bit more freely, I think that, you know, it's going to help. I don't, it does, does it make them a, a top tier cup contender? No, I don't think it makes that big of a difference, but uh, they're signing him for no money. He's an experienced veteran. The guys in the room love him. If you have a problem with it, you just blindly hate to caress. That's the reality. And if that's who you want to be, you can be that guy, but it's just kind of dumb. Yeah. I feel like Olmark is like a solid, consistent goalie that gives up two or three goals a game and you know exactly what you're getting, but he's not spectacular. I feel like Swayman makes some spectacular saves, right? That, that you have these moments of, of really great play and stretches of dominance, but then he'll also give up a lot of soft goals too. So Tuka, I think, is just the best of both worlds for the Bruins. Uh, last th- thought on the Bruins, Alex. By the way, not- uh, Patriots ruled out Kyle Duggar. That's what we figured. Yep. I'm not going to uh, to give away any any specific information on this, but Brad Marchant and I go to the same Starbucks in Boston. Oh. I've seen him like a couple of times. I saw him again yesterday. Uh, I don't want to you know tip it off of where or, or anything like that, so people get weird. But I uh, seen Brad Marchant around town a couple times. Uh, I've tried to wish him luck, and uh, hopefully that ends up uh, paying some dividends. Let's talk about the Celtics. My goodness. I, I, like I said earlier in the show, I poked the bear with Celtics Twitter last night. They all hate me. It's fine. I don't care. Uh, they're all a bunch of pom-pom Jason Tatum wearing jersey morons, quite frankly. Uh, they keep on going out and defending and saying, oh, well, we're just fans. We just like our team. Oh, you like losing all the time? Like, that's great. You like a team that underperforms all the time? Have fun with that. Uh, you like a team that is clearly going to run Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of town because they're not going to want to be a part of this anymore. Uh, that's awesome. And we're going to start from beginning from scratch. Uh, they blame injuries. What injuries? Everybody played last night. Last time I checked, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, what, what injuries did the Celtics have in that game last night, Alex, that I'm not aware of. And lastly, then they start to turn on Ime. It's like last year was Brad Stevens's fault. Now it's Ime's fault. Uh, maybe it's the players' fault, guys. Hey, the players have been the same. The core has been the same for four or five years now, and they're not getting any better. They're the same team every single year. They have the same issues every single year. I don't think Tatum and Brown are the biggest problems on this team. I'd much rather keep those guys and try to build a better roster around them to win games than start all from anew. But the defending and the excuse-making, if this was the Patriots – and the Patriots were mediocre for four or five years. And it was the same product every single year. And Mac Jones was Jason Tatum, where he had some great moments early in his rookie season, but then never got any better. We would be apeshit on this show. The Patriots fans would be going crazy. They would be pissed off. People would be calling for six-time Super Bowl champion head coach, eight-time Super Bowl champion, including the assistant's Bill Belichick, they would be calling for him to be fired. And You're yet, describing last year. Yeah. And yet and that only took one year. And yet 
the Celtics fans sit here and say, oh, well, poor us. We just like to watch our team. Don't watch if you don't like the team. I love the team. That's the thing. I love the team. They suck. It rant over. Yeah, I think CLNS needs to get Evan credentialed for the Celtics after. Uh, no, you don't want that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think it's one thing. I think if you want to argue it's Udoka, if you want to argue it's the roster, if you want to argue they're not bought yeah. in enough, I mean, I think it, it can be a little bit of everything. I like, I thought Udoka was the right hire. I liked a lot of what he said when he was hired. Um, but, and you know, the roster is not very good. No. And I think it's really tough, especially in the NBA where coaching, you know, it's probably the least coaching probably is the least impact on the outcome of the game among the four sports. It's really tough to blame the coach when you're losing so many games by single digits, when you're struggling so much in crunch time and it keeps happening over and over. I think you have to look at that. Yeah. But I think at the same time, again, and look, the NBA is supposed to be a star driven league, right? The NBA is supposed to be, if you have a top 10, top 15 player, you're going to be fine. And the Celtics have two top 25 players in, in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They should be okay. I think it really is an indictment on what the rest of the roster is. And to me, it goes back to Danny Ainge. And sure, it's easy to blame the guy who's not here anymore. But they just basically kept drafting these six foot seven fat guys who couldn't do anything. Yeah. Right. And like, I just, there was, it felt like there was never a push to add depth to the roster. It felt like there was never a push that, you know, Tame and Brown will handle it. They'll make up for this. They'll make up for that. And they were able to hide some of the cracks. And you know, it helped that they had guys like Gordon Hayward, uh, Kemba Walker, even Kyrie Irving, right? And now they're yeah. trying to do it on their own. And it's just asking them to carry. And look, some of these guys are okay, like bench players, but asking them to carry Grant Williams up and down the floor. Ask yeah. them to carry Peyton Pritchard up and down the floor and like Wancho, right? Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. And his freedom. Like yeah. ask them to carry these guys up, up and down the floor. It's just too much of an ask. Yeah. And it sucks because I think they, you know, they're going to start looking elsewhere, especially Tatum. I don't think Tatum's, I think Jalen Brown might be bought in on the idea of Boston, right? He said the line when he got drafted, he's ready to go to war for this city, and he's become very, very involved in the community, which is awesome, and he opened his store here and all of that. Jalen Brown, to me, is a guy who I think might be bought in on Boston. I don't think yeah. Jason Tatum's bought in on no. Boston. And I don't know that Boston's given him a reason to buy in. So no. that's not to fault him, but I think Tatum specifically is a guy who wants to play on a super team one way or the other. Yeah. The question is, is it here or is it somewhere else? So I like what Brad did in the offseason where – he, basically, they have all these guys on one-year deals, and you know they've picked up assets. I I've written off this season. I think everybody should write off this season. Sell at the deadline. See if you can get a first for 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 Dennis Schroeder. You know, sell, 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 and then just try to accumulate as many assets as you can, and then go out the offseason. See if you can get that third piece. See if you can get that Bradley Beal, um, whoever it may be. I think that has to be the plan because if you don't get Tatum and Brown some help, they're going to go find it elsewhere. I think is where it's at right now. Yeah, I, if you want to, look, I, I think the biggest thing that I, I know a lot of people that are smarter than me that that talk about basketball for us as CLNS Media or wherever talk about floor spacing being a big issue for this team. 
that when Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown drive to the hole, they're kicking to Smart and Schroeder and Al Horford and, you know, all these guys that can't shoot threes, right? And that, and that's a big concern that everybody has for him. I know people have concerns about Ime's uh, late-game rotations as well and some of the guys that he's playing and that are out on the floor in the fourth quarter. But the biggest thing that I actually have against Ime right now is the way that he talks about the team to the media. Like, who are you, dude? Like See, you're, that's one of until last night. That's no, one of the things I liked. No, 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 no. The honesty goes behind closed doors until further notice, right? Like you coming out and saying to the media that we get, you know, we get nervous in, in, when the game starts to get away and we get rattled. Like that's totally fair, and and obviously we can all see that. It's clear as day, but. I think guys in the NBA, you need to handle, if you're Greg Popovich, you can sit, you can talk like that, right? You can go out there and you can talk honestly and openly about your team. If you're Ime Adoka, I think at a point, Jason Tatum looks at him and he says, dude, I'm better basketball player than you've ever been in your life. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't, you know, get, get off my back with the media. These NBA players, and I, I, I'm speaking uh, from a point of, of somebody that is in the same, a similar age demographic as a lot of these guys. They're sensitive, all right. They don't want, they don't want that, right? They don't want people. They want to play AAU, play with their buddies, you know, have everything go well. Uh, we're basketball players. This life is awesome. They don't want the coach going out in the media and reaming them out. I think that that, that hurts Ime more than it helps him. I know that it might hurt it help him with the fan base and with the local media and with the outside coverage of the team that he's being honest and he's pointing to what he, he sees are the actual flaws. Uh, I have a feeling that Jason Tatum and, is behind closed doors and saying F you to that. And maybe that's the common enemy and maybe that works out, but I don't, tough love does not usually work with 23 year olds, right? That, I, that, but they've tried everything else. They've tried everything else. And it, you know what? Yeah. You learn something. If it doesn't, they've tried everything else. So if tough love doesn't work, then you know, these guys aren't going to buy in. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah. I don't know. I just know this generation because I'm I'm part of it, unfortunately. And I'm telling you that tough love doesn't. People get defensive. They get sensitive. Uh, they don't like that. They, tough love is is dying very quickly in the world. And maybe that's a bad thing in in terms of big picture. But that's not what this podcast covers. But I'm just in terms of everything else. Uh, the Celtics are a joke. Uh, they're a disaster. I think there's two ways to go about it with their roster right now, Alex. Uh, one is to turn everybody into shooters around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown besides, you know, Rob Williams. Right? You know what? But the reality, you kind of say that sarcastically, but that worked before. Remember yeah. when they had, and look, not that these guys are great players, but Jay Crowder, Jonas Jarebko, Terry Rozier, you had to cover them. None of them were going to shoot 40, 45% from three, but you had to cover them out there. Yeah. And it gave them the space on the floor. Yeah. The guys they have now on the roster outside of maybe Schroeder, who doesn't give the ball up, right? He's a second unit guy. They can't shoot. So I yeah. would be all for going back to the J. Like, I love Jay Crowder and Jonas Yurevko. Go back to that era. That was the most. And yeah. by the way, by the way, you know who fits that mold? Who's out here today tweeting that he's right in front of the, the like, he's right in front of him? Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. The fact this team has not signed Isaiah Thomas. They're not bringing Isaiah Thomas. Over the last back. year. Oh, but they They're so should. They don't want they don't want to they don't want to open that door. They don't want to open that can you know of what? Open it up. No. Open, and all I've heard, the, the there's been excuse after excuse after excuse for why they can't do it. 
Oh, yeah. he doesn't get along with Danny. Danny's gone. Oh, yeah. well, he's not healthy. Looks pretty healthy to me. The new excuse yeah. is they don't want to overshadow Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown oh, because I don't it's their team that. now. Well, well, that's the latest excuse I'm hearing is yeah. they don't want to overshadow Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those guys were better when they were overshadowed. Yeah. Those guys were over bad. Those guys were better when it was the Isaiah Thomas show. Maybe it's time to go back to that. Yes, this is a football site. Well, a football show, I should say. Not a football site. We haven't done we, one of those in a while. We like to vent every three months. We we like to vent about some of the other Boston sports. And Alex writes about all the sports at 98.5. I, I, I stick to football and just get angry and as, as a fanboy of the Celtics and, and start to get pissed off and riled up. But anyways, uh, thanks for indulging us. Uh, a lot of people commenting on my fantastic haircut. I really appreciate that. I want to shout out uh, JA Barbershop on Route 1 in Foxborough. Uh, they hooked me up with this cut. They also cut Mac Jones's hair. Uh, there you go. Kyle Van Noy's hair. Uh, they've cut Steven Guskowski's hair in the past. A lot of Patriots players go over there. GA Barbershop. Uh, there's your sponsor plug. They're not actually a sponsor of the show, but if they want to sponsor the show, now we have this uh, little segment to uh, show them as a reel uh, for a potential sponsorship. So go over and see those guys at, at GA, and they'll give you uh, a great haircut uh, just like this one. Yeah, there you go. All right, Alex and I will be back on the show on Tuesday to recap Patriots Dolphins talk about whoever the Patriots draw in the first round of the playoffs. I don't know about you, Alex, but I'm sure I, I do know, honestly, uh, th this is pretty cool that the Patriots have a playoff game again. I know it was only one year that the Patriots didn't have a playoff game, but because of COVID and all that kind of stuff, it, it kind of felt like a longer period. Of time. It does feel like it's been longer. Yeah. It feels like it's been longer. And I also think because 2019 ended the way that it did. And so abruptly and so quickly that that season is feels like a lifetime ago, especially with everything that's happened in the world since then. So the fact that we are going to get to talk about a Patriots playoff game next week, has me jazzed up. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to have you covered all week long here on Patriots Beat, Patriots Press Pass, with all your Patriots uh, fill-in-the-blank of the opponent coverage next week. And Alex and I will have two shows next week, and we will just talk straight matchup X's and O's, all the good stuff about whoever the Patriots draw. And hopefully it's the Bills so that Allison gets uh, the Bills Mafia riled up a little bit and, and get them in here. Look, but look, I'll have fun if they have fun, but they got to behave this time. Okay, yeah. no DMing my family. Let's cut out the hate speech. We're just talking football. That's it. I'll have fun with you talking football, but we're just talking football. That's the rules. All right, so we'll see you guys Tuesday. Playoffs, here we come. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in on Friday afternoon, snowy Friday afternoon, and we'll see you guys next week.